Shannon, are you ready if we dismiss the kids? Oh, I guess it's, it's Allison who's teaching. Allison, are you ready if we dismiss the kids? It's going to take Shannon an extra second to get the live going. It's going a little bit out of order, but we can contend with that. So I was going to say, children follow Miss Allison up the stairs, but Miss Allison follow the children up the stairs. Don't let, don't let them run you over. Lord, let me do some justice this morning to, to this message of, of discipleship. Discipleship is so important to you. And Lord, I confess I haven't always taken it seriously. Or I haven't always taken it seriously enough. So often as a church, we don't take it seriously enough. And it is so important because without it, there's no growth for faith. And if we don't grow, we cannot acquire any depth. And without that depth, Lord, we just we don't have a foundation that we can stand on when life hurts. So it is so important to our growth so that we can walk with you, so that we can fellowship with you, so that we can, can talk with you, so we can do life with you. But beyond individuals, it is important to this church that we embrace discipleship. It's important to this community to, to our country, our nation, to the whole world, that Christianity embraces discipleship. Because if we don't make disciples, there will be no one left who can make disciples. Christianity would just plunge even further into this, this self-help, easy Jesus, feel-good, chicken soup for the soul product that people only hear about at weddings or at funerals or, or read about in a history book. Lord, if I'm not discipled, I cannot disciple others. And if I'm not discipling others, then, then my faith has no traction here on earth. Lord, let me do this topic justice. Amen. All right, so we are going to, I guess this fits the, what we're doing with the service. We are going to start at the end. That was my plan all along. For this, we are going to start at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And I am in the uh, 28th chapter of Matthew, the very last chapter, very last couple of verses. Uh, if Ben's got them up, that's great. If not, that's absolutely fine. We're going to be flexible this morning as, as Ben works hard to, to get us where we need to get with the technology. But looks like he's got it up. So read along with me. The 11 followers went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. On the mountain, the followers saw Jesus. They worshipped him, but some of the followers did not believe that it was really Jesus. So he came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So go and make followers of all people. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have told you to do. You can be sure that I will be with you always. I will continue with you until the end of the time. We've, we've heard that before, this go into all the world charge, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. That is what we are called to do. This very last sermon that Jesus gave, this last set of instructions, 
this, this very last, his parting words, really. He, is, he has died, he has been crucified, he has been resurrected. He is appearing to his disciples that he spent a couple of years discipling and pouring into. And he's basically saying to them, now it is time for you to do what I did. You go, you go everywhere, and you tell this to everyone, and you disciple everyone. Create disciple makers all over the world. You are now disciple makers, and you go and do that. Because without it, this thing that we have done together is going to cease to exist. It is not going to spread if we don't spread it. And, and I believe a version of Christianity is always going to exist. Unfortunately, it might very well be that kind of hollow version of Christianity. That sort of store brand version. That really, that easy Jesus version of Christianity. And we can't let it descend into this kind of encouragement without any of the without any of the, the, the truth of the Bible attached to it. Because this call that we are under to live a changed life, to put our own desires to death and to repent of our sins, and to live a life of worship and transformation, that disappears if we don't share it. Because then other people will just do the easy version of Christianity where they go to church once in a while, as long as it's convenient, where they, well, let's, we're going to have a wedding, so let's go to church. Or we're going to have a funeral, let's call a church and have a funeral there. Where they do the religious stuff once in a while more as a tradition than as an exercise of, of heartfelt worship. But we can't let that happen if we are serious about Jesus. I think there already exists this tug of war between true Christianity and, and this easy Jesus thing that's preached and practiced in so many places. And sadly, it's a tug of war that biblically Christianity, biblical Christianity often sort of loses because it's not as easy as the other. So a few weeks ago, we started this discipleship model. We talked about the, the four-chair discipleship method developed by a pastor named Dan Spader. And if you haven't seen that, the, the sermon from two weeks ago. I would urge you to go get on YouTube, get on our Facebook page, uh, get onto our, our Fresh Start Fellowship app, watch that sermon, listen to that sermon. Not because I was the guy who gave it, but because I think this four-chair discipleship method, I think is very important. I think it's very solid. I would, I would implore you to, to check that out. We're going to continue with those, those four chairs this morning because each of us this morning sits in one of those four chairs. Everybody in this room, we are in one of those four chairs. We've got four chairs up there right now. Now, chair one on that side of the cross, that represents somebody who's not yet encountered Christ. That is a seeker. Somebody who has not accepted Christ as their Savior. They are not a churchgoer. They are not a believer. Chair 2, on this side of the cross, represents somebody who has become born again. They are a believer. They have come to church. They have gotten saved. They went to revival and they got saved. Or a friend shared with them, witnessed, and, and gave their testimony. They have accepted Christ. 
So just in the space of two chairs, we move from a seeker to a believer, and chair three is somebody who has accepted Christ as their Savior, and they have committed to growth. They have decided that, that I don't want to just go to heaven, but I want this faith to mean something while I'm walking around here on earth. I want to know more about God. I want to understand my Bible a little bit more. I, I want to understand what it's like to have a prayer like that, a connection to God. I want to be able to make choices that honor God. And chair four is someone who has accepted Christ as their Savior. They have committed to Christian growth, and they have committed to pouring Jesus into the lives of people around them. So we go from a seeker in chair one to a believer in chair two. Chair three is somebody who, who wants to be a disciple. They have wanted to move out of chair two just believing. They want to learn, and they want to grow. And chair four is a disciple maker, somebody who wants to continue learning and growing, but they want to share with other people. They want to impact the lives of, of those around them. And if you know Jesus, your goal ought to be chair four. Your goal should be, I want to be a disciple maker. I was, I was sharing this, I was talking to another pastor here in town. And I was telling him how we, we, we grabbed this four-chair discipleship at Fresh Start Fellowship. And we were sharing this with our, with our church, and this is important to the pastors. And he said, well, what's the four chairs? Tell me about that. So I was explaining the four chairs, and he said, but that's not something people have control over. You move from chair to chair as God calls you to move from chair to chair. And I think that's what's wrong with Christianity. And I told him that. Because I think we, we have this, this idea that chair four, well, that's the pastor. He's the, he's the disciple maker. Chair three, those are the, those are the people teaching Bible study. Those are, the, those are the deacons. That's the steering committee. That's the people that they love church and they take it real seriously. Chair two, that's the rest of us. And chair one, that's the mission field. Those are the people that we invite to come to the Christmas Eve service. Those are the people we invite to come on Easter Sunday. And God will call us to the next chair when, when God is ready for that. And I disagree with that. And I told him. Because I think if you read the Gospel of Matthew and you get to the end where we just read, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's telling you to get into chair four. He's not saying, wait, and I'm going to call you. He's saying, you need to get into chair four. You need to do the work that gets there. You don't get saved and wake up the next day in chair four. You need to work through being a disciple. You need to learn. As, as we discuss when we talk about our, our Bible reading, our daily Bible reading, it takes a lot of work to understand the Bible, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes a lot of work to just be confused by what we're reading, Right? Have you ever talked to God and you just weren't quite sure if you were putting in the right words, if he was understanding your heart, if, if you were getting through? Have you ever tried to share your faith with somebody and you weren't sure if you were saying it right, if you were explaining it right? Have you ever just had life hurt and you weren't sure if you were doing this Christian thing right? Have you ever just wondered, God, do I have a handle on this or not? It takes work 
to move through your faith. It is not an easy experience. We are supposed to move ourselves along. We are supposed to ask questions. We are supposed to grow. We are supposed to help each other move along. That's why I, I absolutely love, I do not think it was a technology problem. I believe sincerely that it was God. I love when we share here in this room when we're struggling. I'm not happy that you're struggling this morning, brother. I'm not, I'm not glad about that. But I love that this is a place that we can share that. Because you're not the only one in this room struggling. You're not the only one in this room with questions. You are not the only one in this room saying, yeah, I'm not sure if I've got this figured out at all. We have all been there. A lot of us have been there this week. Some of us are there right now. We need to do this together. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he had these words to say about our faith journey. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you've uh, got a Bible, if you're following along, I think Ben might have this scripture too. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through fire. I'd like to unpack that a, a little bit, that, that, that passage. For we are God's co-workers. Let's go back to verse 9 if we, we can. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. We are co-workers in faith. It doesn't say... For we are spectators of the faith. It doesn't say that we are watchers of the faith. It doesn't say that we are once a week participants for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. We are co-workers. What, what is a co-worker? Somebody who's equal to you and works with you, right? How many people in this room have ever had a job? Should be most of us. How many people have ever been working at a job don't call out any names because we, we, are, we are recording this. But how many people have ever been working at a job and you have a co-worker next to you and they're not working as hard as you? And it's not because it's their first day and they're learning. It's because they have figured out how to look busy instead of how to be busy. Have you ever had that person next to you? What do you think about that co-worker? Do you love them? You're a Christian, you should. But do you love their work ethic? Are you, are you excited when you see that they're going to be working next to you that day? Are you pleased about that? You don't really feel like they're a co-worker. What, what, what should happen in that situation? In that situation, hopefully, if I'm working next to Zach, 
and he's working harder than me, what should happen is his hard work should encourage me and inspire me to want to keep up with him. It should give me the ability to say, Zach, I'm, I'm not as good at this as you. Can you show me how I can become more proficient? That's what should happen. And sometimes on the job, that does. But you know what usually happens in most places I've ever had a job? I'm working next to Zach, and he's working hard, and I'm working hard at looking busy. What usually happens, I end up spending the whole day looking busy, and Zach ends up doing all of his work and some of my work. That's not a co-worker. We are God's co-workers. We need to be pulling our weight in this Christian deal. We're not supposed to be standing there watching God do all the hard work. We are supposed to be participating in this Christian deal with him. We are co-workers. We are a field. You are God's field. When Paul wrote this, the value of field, there were two different things that made a field, field valuable at this time. One of those was that you could put animals on that field and they would find water to drink and they could eat. They could graze. The land would nourish them. They would survive. You are a field. You are supposed to be nourishing to those who find you. Another value that the field had is that it could produce crops that would then nourish people or produce some sort of a profit for the person who owned the land. So you are God's field. You're supposed to be nourishing. You're supposed to be producing. We, we have talked in this church at length about producing fruit. Remember that, that sermon series we did on the fruit of the Spirit? And we kind of had the, the, the vineyard up here and we hung there for fruits on there and it was when the church was we were open and then we were closed and we were open and then we were closed and that, that six or eight week series seemed to take about three or four or five months to get through I remember it because I was one of the people who got sick during that time but fruit you are supposed to be producing so you are God's field you're supposed to be nourishing you're supposed to be producing you are God's building. Well, the value of a building was that it could provide shelter from the weather. Inside of a building is supposed to be warmer than the cold weather outside. Now, in Florida, we kind of value when the inside of the building is colder than the weather outside. But Paul didn't, he didn't write this in Florida in June. But the, the building protects you from the weather, keeps the rain from falling on your head. How many people got wet this week? I mean, it should be just about all of us, unless you were blessed enough to be able to stay inside all week. Because it was wet out there. The building provides shelter, keeps you safe. We are called to be a building, to provide shelter, to provide safety for the people that we come across. And that doesn't mean that you need to become a, a police officer that protects everybody that you encounter doesn't mean that you need to be some sort of superhero with a cape and a shield and a sword fighting the bad guys and keeping the good guys safe, but you are supposed to provide safety. Look, we've got a handle on that here at First Start Fellowship. We are a place that on a Sunday morning that somebody can raise their hand and say, I'm hurting right now. That's a little bit of safety that we provide. 
But we ought to be doing that out there too. Being a safe place for people to say, I don't have this all figured out. I don't have it all together. My life hurts right now. My life has some confusion right now. I think this plays an awful lot in the chair one. Because this is our calling as believers to provide a safe place to help people for, to help people survive the storms in their life. Seekers, people who don't know Jesus, and we ought to be a safe place. We don't make them feel bad because they don't know Jesus. We don't scold them for being unsaved. They don't show up at church with questions and we make fun of them because they don't know what we know. We need to take care of them. That's what we are called to do, to provide for those around us. You've, you have heard, I'm sure, love your neighbor as yourself. If you even just listened to any of our memory verses, you heard that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? According to the parable, who is your neighbor? Everybody. Not just the guy lives next door to you. Not just people you like, but everybody is your neighbor. We are called to nourish and provide some sort of shelter and safety. According to God's grace, I'm on the verse 10 now. According to God's grace that was given to me, I laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. What is the most important part of a building? What is the most important part of a building project? What is the first step? Foundation. Not foundation. Nope. <laughs> a plan. You need to have a plan. You, you, you can't just call a foundation store and order a foundation until you know where you're going to put the foundation. Until you have an idea of what size foundation you need. Because if you build a shed to put your lawnmower in, or you're building a, a skyscraper with a bunch of offices, those are different foundations. They're going to cost you a little bit different amount too. You need to have a plan. Luke says, you want to build a building, you would first sit down and count the cost. You need to have a plan before you build. And, and that ties in so much to the next thing that Paul wrote in verse 11, where no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. So in verse 10, it says, I've laid this foundation as a skilled master builder, and another is going to build on it. Jesus is the foundation. If you are a Christian, you've been saved, and you understand the story of the cross. You understand what Jesus did, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for your sins. You get that, and then in verse 11, no one else can lay any other foundation except for what has been laid down. So now we're looking at chair two. Somebody has accepted Christ. They moved from seeker to believer, and they are a Christian. And as I'm looking around the room, I believe with my heart that is most of you. Many of you I know are believers. I would stake my life on. The rest of you, I'm pretty sure you're believers from listening to you and interacting with you. You are a Christian. You have accepted Christ. Your foundation is Jesus. So as we look around at each other, and we've got these Christians in our midst, and we are called to disciple them, we cannot lay anything else upon them 
except Jesus. We cannot build on them with something else. No other religions. Our culture is filled with religions. Our country is filled with so many different versions of Christianity. Oh, Jesus loves you so much. Jesus understands your sin. Jesus even kind of he even kind of loves your sin because he loves you so much. Now that's not a biblical version of Christianity, but that's a version that is out there. And there's people that are calling that Christianity. And in verse 11 it says, you can't put another foundation on top of this foundation that is Jesus. You can't put a false version of Christianity on top of that. You can't build another religion on that. How many people know somebody who really believes well, hey, that Christian thing you do, that's amazing, but there's a lot of different ways to get to heaven. You know somebody who believes that? I know a lot of people who believe that. Mark, that Christian thing, that's awesome, and I, I respect that so much, but there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. You can't build that on top of Christianity because that's not Christianity. That's not real Jesus. You can't put other plans on there. Well, there are so many self-help plans. And, and sometimes as Christians, we embrace those because they sound good and they sound uplifting and they sound positive. And, and we're going to take, I'm going to go to church and the preacher's going to preach and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch Dr. Phil all five days this week and he's going to get me where I need to get spiritual. You can't build a non-Christian plan on top of biblical Christianity and expect that you are adding to that foundation. No other systems, no other ways to and, and our culture has taken this really noble idea that we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I love that idea because the worst pain I've ever felt in my life has not been physical pain. It's been when somebody's hurt my feelings, either on accident or even worse, on purpose. We've all had our feelings hurt, and, and that, that's the kind of pain that just kind of haunts us, doesn't it? And our culture has taken that noble idea that we don't want to hurt each other's feelings but we've taken it too far. We have brought that into the church. We said, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so I'm not going to call out sin. I'm not going to call sin a sin. I'm just going to call it a choice. I'm not going to say that the sinful thing that you're doing is messing up your life. I'm not going to say that it's messing up your life because I don't want to hurt your feelings. And that's not biblical Christianity. And we're building that on top of this foundation of Jesus, and we're not adding a solid foundation onto the foundation that's been laid. How is somebody going to move from believer to disciple if we're not telling them the truth? I shared two weeks ago, as I, as I talked about kind of my own journey from seeker to believer, and from believer to disciple, and I shared the power in my life of, of Christian men that I met in the army who would come alongside me. I was excited to be a Christian. I was, I was reading my Bible and I was trying to understand it. And I was going to church and I enjoyed going to church on Sunday. And it was really easy for me to be hanging out in the barracks with a bunch of guys and just using the coarse language that the guys were using in the barracks. And I had, had Christian brothers who would come to me and, and with nothing but love 
have a hard conversation and say, how can you be a man of God and speak like that? How can you be a man of God and use those words? How can you be a man of God and speak that way about some of God's children? Those were hard conversations. I didn't enjoy those conversations. I don't know that they enjoyed having those conversations. But they told me truth. They helped me move from believer to disciple by speaking truth into my life. Not just about my, my language, but about alcohol use, about pornography, about my attitude, about the entertainment that I consume. About the, the TV shows and the movies that I just loved, about the music that I listened to. They told me those things because they loved me. And it wasn't easy, but it helped me move from believer to disciple. People can't move from believer to disciple if we don't put Jesus on top of the Jesus they already have. If we just add feel good nonsense, they're going to stay right where they are. If you really believe that we are called to love our neighbors, part of loving our neighbors is that we're honest with them. Verse 12. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, all valid building materials. And that's, that's just a half a sentence. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, those are all acceptable building materials. When Paul wrote this, those were all things that you could use to build, but they weren't all of equal value, and they weren't all interchangeable, and they weren't all useful in every situation. You could build a, a, a barn for your cows out of gold, but not only was that going to cost you a lot of money, but somebody was going to come along and going to take some of that gold, and now all of a sudden you've got a, you've got a barn without any walls. Where you got a barn without a roof. Where you got a bunch of cows standing around where your barn used to be, because thieves have taken all the gold. Gold's not the best thing to build a barn out of. You could use these building materials, but they weren't all of equal value, and they weren't all interchangeable. That doesn't mean that any of them were useless. It just means in specific circumstances, some were more useful than others. They weren't all interchangeable. This is why discipleship is so important. Because we are not all interchangeable as believers. What spoke to my life when I need somebody to speak truth to me is probably not what you need to hear because you probably got different struggles than I have. You don't need to hear the truth that I needed to hear. You got truth that you need to hear, but it's not what I needed to hear. Different people respond in different ways to different people. If we were all interchangeable and this, this discipleship thing just worked that easy, we could all come in here and listen to Pastor Steve, and we wouldn't need to come back for Bible study on Tuesday. We wouldn't need to come back for a, a midweek program. We wouldn't need to, to get into the Bible on our own because we're all interchangeable. We're all getting just as much at Pastor Steve on Sunday. We wouldn't need that, that individual customized relationship with God 
because we can all just get that interchangeable thing that we're all getting one size fits all on Sunday morning and, and life would be great. But it doesn't work that way. And, and even when we hear truth, we all respond in different ways than we hear it. I can't tell you how many times a parent has come up to me a little bit, a little bit disappointed because I've spoken spiritual truth into the life of their teenager and their teenager embraces it and the parent will look at me and say, I've been saying that for months. I've been saying that for years. You said it one time on a Wednesday, it is the smartest thing they ever heard and they love it. Because they can hear me in a way that they don't hear you guys because I'm not telling them to do their homework. I'm not scolding them when they don't do their chores. I'm not, I'm not taking their phone away. I'm not keeping them from getting a driver's license when they misbehave. I am not the disciplinarian, so it's real easy for them to love me because they come up here and eat chili dogs and talk about the Bible. They hear me in a different way than they hear you guys. It doesn't mean I'm smarter. That doesn't mean I'm better. It just means we respond to different to different things. The best example I have of this, I have a friend that I've had since grade school. And I love him. But he's not much smarter than I am. Which means often he gets in trouble. When he was newly married, and this is more than 20 years ago, he's in his mid-20s. When he was newly married, his wife, had been involved in doing craft stuff for years. And she made handmade cards, birthday cards, wedding invitations, sympathy cards. And I mean, she didn't just like make a card, she poured hours of work and, and artistic skill into this. And she could make you wedding invitations and just amazing, better than anything you could buy in a store. And she had spent months and months making all these samples of all of her cards and she went to this craft show and he went with her and they set up a table, they had rented space and a booth for her and they set up a table and she put out all of her cards and early on a Saturday morning and she sat down in the chair ready to, to show off her stuff and, and make some deals and, and, and get some orders and all day long people stopped by and looked but nobody ordered anything, nobody bought anything. And she came home Saturday night, she was, she was just dejected. She just felt like a, like a failure. And she was questioning, am I even any good at this? I, I put so many hours into this and I got this room full of crafting materials and stamping materials. And was that all a waste of money if we invested in something that's, I don't even know what I'm doing. And she was on the couch and she was kind of fighting back tears and she was feeling completely defeated. And, and my friend remembered back to the most motivating moment of his life. See, he had been a wrestler in high school. And when he was a freshman, he went out there the very first wrestling meet, and he went out to wrestle for the very first time, and he gets out on the mat, and, and one, two, three, go, and, and he clashed with the other guy, and the other guy pinned him in, like, record time. And so he came off of the mat feeling defeated, feeling dejected. Maybe I shouldn't be a wrestler. And the wrestling coach was also the football coach, and, and he was the shop teacher, and he had just one of these kind of drill sergeant personalities. And the wrestling coach grabbed him and said, are you going to start crying? Are you going to feel defeated? Or are you going to learn from this so that you can be a better wrestler? Are you going to take this feeling of defeat that you hate 
And are you going to get better at this so you can give this feeling to your opponents instead of taking it home yourself? And in that moment, that, that touched him and that motivated him. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And he got so excited. So his wife is sitting on the couch crying. And he decides, I'm going to motivate her. And he says, are you going to sit there crying? Are you just going to be a loser? Or are you going to learn how to do this even better? Are you going to get up and get better at this crafting thing? I mean, he just really screamed at her like a drill sergeant. And she looked up at him horrified and burst into tears and ran down the hall and slammed the door. And the way he tells the story is, is in that moment I realized that maybe my wife motivates differently than I do. <laughs> we all respond in different ways to different things. What is going to feel way too harsh to me if you give me truth might be exactly what it takes to get William moving. It might be the thing that speaks in his heart and causes him to, I'm going to get serious about God. The thing that, that speaks to me and gets me moving about God might not even register with William. We're going to respond in different ways. That's why we all need to do this together because we are all differently gifted. We all have different needs and we all have different gifts. When we say that we need you here on Sunday, it's not because we need to count how many butts are touching how many seats. It's not because we need you here because that makes us feel good. We feel good when you're here. But we need you here because each of you brings gifts into this room that the rest of us don't have. And we all need to be helping each other as we take believers and as we pile Jesus on top of their foundation to move them from believer to disciple. Because your pastor cannot do it all. Your student pastor can't do it all. And your Bible study teacher cannot do it all. And the steering committee, they can't do it all. We all need to be in this together. We need to get away from this idea that the, the pastor can do it by himself. In verse 12, it says, If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. The day will disclose it. The day should be, I think, in, in quotes, or it should be in bold text, the day is coming. Now, the day doesn't mean your birthday. The day, the day of fire is coming. Paul is writing this as if he's positive some pain is going to come into your life. Can we all acknowledge that that was true? Paul was on to something? He wasn't crazy. He wasn't being a pessimist. I think he was being honest. Pain is coming. Some of you have had all of your pain and then some, and enough for all of us, and you don't need any more. Some of us have been pretty blessed. We've had some pain, we've had some hard times, but we've also had mostly good times. But those of us that are wise know that there's no guarantee that there's not going to be pain that shows up this afternoon or next month or next year. Pain is coming. That the fire that he talks about, that represents the pain. Each one's work will become obvious. Whatever we do with new believers, it's going to become obvious when the day shows up. 
when the pain arrives in their life, when the fire comes, what we have done, what we have piled on top of new believers is going to become obvious when pain enters their life. Because that pain is going to reveal what their faith is made out of. And if their faith is not made out of true Christianity, the pain is going to reveal that. Our churches are absolutely filled in this culture with people that when life gets hard, they run from God. They run from church. They run from truth. Oh, God didn't do for me what I wanted him to do, so I'm cutting out. Y'all can have it. I have had people say that to me in this room at Celebrate Recovery. Because, boy, hey, when God was doing good, I was excited about it. But it got rough. I don't want any of that. I'm out. I have had people who turned their back on their faith because life got hard. I have had people that have walked away from their faith because they start making sinful choices. And those sinful choices just get real easy. Well, I don't see where God is in all this. So I'm going to go. I'm going to cut out. We have also seen people when life hands them an amount of pain that almost brings us to our knees just looking at it. And they find something to rejoice about. At his wife's funeral a few weeks ago, I asked Brother Charles how he was doing. And he says, God has been so good to me. And I've got things to rejoice about. Now he wasn't singing and dancing while he said that. He was in pain and he was hurting and he was mourning. But he has had Jesus built upon this foundation of Jesus. And he is able to walk that talk. Those weren't just idle words. Isn't that what we want for each other? Isn't that what we want for ourselves? I want to handle pain in my life that way. We need to be equipping others to do that. The, the pain is going to reveal what is, what is on top of that. When the fire comes through, it's going to show our discipleship for what it really was. Biblical truth or pseudo-spiritual nonsense, feel-good, easy Jesus platitudes. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. Well, that's nice and encouraging, right? We all like to get a reward. That's, that's kind of happy news. But in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost. That, that non-biblical Christianity we pile up on there is going to get burned up. It's going to get lost. Pain is going to enter their life, and that stuff is going to fall away. He will be saved because if you know Jesus, you're going to heaven. It's going to be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. Climbing through a burning building, crawling through a burning building, running through a burning building, an escape through fire. You will escape. What it says, an escape through fire means you're going to escape the fire. 
which you're not going to escape unchanged, unhurt, unburnt. We are not preparing people for life. If we build on this foundation of Jesus with stuff that's not Jesus, because then when the fire comes, they're going to end up kind of burnt. That's not what we are called to do. Love your neighbor doesn't mean you set them up to get burnt. Go into all the world and make disciples. Doesn't say go into all the world and evangelize. Yes, go into all the world and evangelize. But go into all the world and make disciples. Evangelize them, convert them, tell them the truth about Jesus, and then pile Jesus on top of Jesus to turn them into a disciple. To turn them into a disciple that's hungry to move by a chair three disciple and a chair four disciple maker. Because then when the fire comes through, it's going to reveal what has been built into their life. I love the evangelist George Whitfield and what he said. He used to do these, these, these big you know, rallies and revivals. And, and he would have hundreds of people raise their hand. Hundreds of people come forward and respond to an invitation to know Christ. And, and after the as people often would at the end, they would say to him, how many people got saved this weekend? How many people got saved last night? How many people came forward tonight? And his answer was always the same. Let's wait six months, 12 months or 18 months. And then we'll go into our local churches and then we'll be able to tell how many people got saved. How many people have been discipled? How many people have been, have been built upon? He used to actually scold preachers when he would come to town and do a revival. Because he would say, I'm doing the easy part, I'm laying out Jesus. If you're not willing to do the hard part and disciple those who go forward, I'm wasting my time. We need to build upon that. We, we talk about what happened on the cross almost every single Sunday here at Fresh Start Fellowship. We need to be ready as a church to build upon that. Because that, that one time commitment to Christ, that's easy, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, and that's great. But a year from now, is that the only spiritual thing that's happened to me? Or have I moved along, and the people next to me pulled me along, and pushed me along, and brought me along, and encouraged me along? Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. Well, if you are going to make disciples, that makes you a disciple maker. So he's not saying, eh, look at those four chairs and pick one that's, that's comfortable. He's not saying, get saved and be a believer. He's saying, get saved, be a believer, get discipled, and then become a disciple maker and go into the world and make more disciple makers. So as we are focused on chair two this morning, what is your next step to make disciples? And I'm not asking for a big evangelistic answer. I'm not asking for a big biblical answer. I'm not asking for you to put, oh, I'm going to teach a Bible study. I'm going, to, I'm going to preach next Sunday. If you want to preach next Sunday, let us know. If, if you want to lead a Bible study, let us know. I'm not asking for that. But what are you willing to do? What is your gift? Because we're all differently gifted. 
people say all the time to me, well, I, I want to serve, but I just, I just don't know what I'm good at. So can you pray? Can you call the preacher on Tuesday afternoon and say, Pastor Steve, who can I pray for right now? Who in our church needs prayer? Who in our church needs some encouragement? Pastor, I just want to go to the dollar store and I want to buy a card and write some encouraging words and put a stamp on it and mail it to somebody. Pastor, who needs some encouragement in our church? Pastor, who could use a meal? Pastor, who could use a visit? Who could take a phone call? What is your next step? What are you willing to do to those people that are sitting in chair two and they need some Jesus on top of their Jesus? What kind of Jesus are you prepared to give? Because as we continue to, to look at these chairs, and we're going we're gonna to be looking at these chairs for, for the next couple of years, to be honest with you, but we're not going to have the chairs up here every single Sunday for the next couple of years. In fact, I'm really excited about our next sermon series. I think it's going to be fun. But as we talk about discipleship, as we talk about how you can be a disciple, as we talk about how you can be a disciple maker, none of that matters if we're not moving you from believer to disciple. What is your next step? What are you willing to do? Lord, I pray that what I have said this morning has made sense. Lord, I pray that I have not been in the way of this message, of your call to be disciples and to make disciples. Lord, I pray that, that our church, that in so many ways takes discipleship seriously, would begin to take it even more seriously. That we would get even better at, at building each other, at encouraging each other. Not just with nice words. And Lord, there is nothing wrong with nice words but with real, biblical Jesus. Lord, I pray you do the praise team as, as we get ready to have morning worship at the end of the service. Lord, you have orchestrated it to work this way. And Lord, I pray that as we offer our praises to you now, that you will just, you 